I think it's also brought out how much more there is to teaching than the content itself. For so long, with budget cuts and everything else, there's been a, a huge cut in the understanding that we also provide a level of security, a level of empathy, all kinds of connections and being an important part of these students' lives that was discounted just for content. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. The University of Wisconsin's Lauren Rosen discusses the lessons, consequences, and potential in moving language instruction into a virtual space. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. As we continue our special focus on language teaching and learning strategies in a virtual space, we are delighted to welcome Lauren Rosen to our podcast. Lauren is the director of the University of Wisconsin System Collaborative Language Program. Today, we will talk about some of the lessons we have learned so far in moving language instruction online and how this could shape our methodology and pedagogy in the future. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Lauren. Thanks for inviting me. We really appreciate you taking the time. I know everybody is really busy right now preparing and continuing to support all the people that we work with and all of the family members that we have. Um, So before we start talking about some of the successes and challenges in moving language instruction online, can you share a little bit more about your background and the work that you do? Uh, So for the past uh, 22 years, I've been directing the University of Wisconsin Collaborative Language Program, and its its initial uh, plan was simply to diversify language offerings around the state of Wisconsin. We have reached out beyond Wisconsin um, to some universities who've asked for our courses as well, mm-hmm. but the it's always been some form of blended and distance learning. 22 years ago, it was all um, two-way interactive classroom-based video conferencing. Um, over the years, as technologies improved, we've expanded that into other models that incorporate more um, online uh, types of scenarios blended mm-hmm. with um, flipped lessons is is a common practice in our group. So yeah. some we have everything from still one or two courses that are taught 100% using um, classroom-based video conferencing to um, 100% online with a local discussion section um, and everything in between. So 50-50 models, 75-25 models, that yeah. sort of thing. Nice. That's wonderful. Um, So language educators across the globe have moved into this remote instructional world now, and you have been very active in supporting teachers before and also during their move through countless webinars for ACTFL and for IELTS and for your own university system. Looking back over the last few weeks, how do you think things have been going? What worked better than anticipated? What were some of the challenges? So... Um, First, I want to be clear that um, my background has given me the availability and the knowledge to be able to support teachers in a distance and blended learning environment, and I recognize that that's not a planned 
um, circumstance, which is what I've been working in, is very much not the same as this remote emergency teaching yeah. that we're in because people don't have the time. And so um, it's it's not as much about taking on a bunch of new technologies, even whether they're available or not, so much as it's been about figuring out the best ways to use the technology that you already are using um, and maybe ramp up that a little bit um, to improve the experience for learners. Um, challenges that I've seen um, is uh, the, the first one was how do I take all of my synchronous content and, and way of teaching and do that in an asynchronous format? So that I think yeah. was the number one biggest scary challenge. When people were able to get over the hump of of that and really start looking at their content, it I think has become a little bit easier for them to identify the things that they really need to be physically present for and the parts that can be done more asynchronously. Now that said, I know there are a lot of instructors um, and a lot of campuses, even the ones that I work with that have said, you cannot require any synchronous communications. And so coming up with ways to make um, that synchronous piece still be useful to those who can't make it has also been uh, challenging, I think, for instructors. Um, but the, from that, the level of creativity and humor um, and exciting yeah. just ideas that have come from the instructors and the products that are coming from the students that I've seen I really, I'm looking forward to seeing how this changes when we get back to a more face-to-face environment, how this changes what they do because they've had to do it differently. I think, you know, they, they can't sit on the same laurels that they have for years. And now some of these new things are really exciting and they're really seeing what students can do. And that's, that's a really powerful piece that I don't think anybody necessarily was thinking about or expecting when they were so busy being mm-hmm. nervous about the change. Yeah. Um, the other common challenge that I get is the concern about cheating. Mm, yes. Um, and what do we do about that? And I want to reflect back on an article that I recently read. Um, it was entitled um, Four Empirically Based Reasons Not to Administer Time-Limited Tests. Mm. And there was a quote from that article that really sticks with me. And it's, um, Google doesn't have the answers. It has information. Students find answers through thinking. Yeah. So, you know, the the reality is if, if the answer to a test question can be found by doing a Google search, probably not a good test question. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is all giving us pause or time to reflect on our practices. And um, I think once we're done with the semester, we can all maybe step back and reflect on what actually is my ultimate um, pedagogical goal? What do I want to enable my students to do? And what are the best ways to do this considering synchronous and asynchronous technologies. Yeah, some of the creativity I've seen, it's because they're asking students to really, to be creative, to analyze Mm -hmm. and interpret and synthesize information, not just, you know, multiple choice answers to things or fill in the correct form of the verb kind of things. They're, Mm -hmm. They're moving outside of their shell. And I think we're seeing really true language production. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm actually excited about it. It's 
um, it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic. Yeah, right. To get to this, right. <laughs> Well, uh, so what are some of the things educators wish they had known before moving to remote instruction? Um, anything that you're hearing about the, on that front from them um, and also for students? So that's a really interesting question um, in that um, on the one hand, at this point, it's too late and it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> um, I guess my feeling is that we all get a lot of information every day through listservs or, yeah. you know, whatever professional development connections that we have. And we look at the title and we think, oh, that's interesting, but I don't really need to bother with that because that's not my situation. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it became everybody's situation right mm-hmm. now. And boy, I wish I did know that, but now I'll go back and read it. So it's kind of the, just the just-in-time learning that, right. that we're doing now. And it's, it's not, I wish I had known so much as um, I wish I had bookmarked that. So when I needed it, I could find it more easily. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's change that question then a little bit and think about, you already talked about some of the opportunities that this whole situation might bring with it. Can you talk a little bit more about what some of the takeaways can be like, how, how will it impact language learning, language teaching, what are specific things that maybe over the course of the summer we can think about and prepare for depending on, on what will happen for the fall? So if I had a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> what, you don't? Come on. Wait a minute. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that, that I have seen, because I work, while I, I have my group of language teachers that have been teaching um, in blended environments for a while, mm-hmm. I also work with language teachers in general who aren't in that situation that work for um, any one of the 13 UW campuses, as well as, you know, just nationally and in, national involvement. But what I'm seeing is the ones that had already integrated technology to some extent, um, seem to be able to manage the current situation better than the ones who, you know, weren't even hardly using their learning management systems on their campus. Um, What I can predict uh, coming this summer, for example, after the scurry of what's happening now is over and we're preparing for the fall and we don't know what fall is going to look like, is a lot more um, energy and effort and training on how to best create a space in a learning management system so it's easily navigable by mm-hmm. all students, regardless of their uh, disability levels, their mm-hmm. knowledge, their whatever. Because people look at information very differently. Sure. The way they approach it, different eyes. And so I think there, um, there might be some training on how to best design a course when you have the time to actually do it. And my hope would be that when we come to fall, instead of doing emergency remote teaching, we'll actually be doing a better model of a true blended learning environment when we've got, you know, three months at least, which isn't, isn't necessarily enough, but it's certainly better than two days. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That we, we might, you know, be able to really improve upon some of those things. And I also think, um, it, people are going to be in a place where they're less resistant to, to change because teachers 
really, they, they certainly don't teach for the money, right? <laughs> they teach because yep. they love what they do. Absolutely. Yep. They love what they do enough to be willing to make appropriate changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and while this has forced them into making changes they maybe were less comfortable with, they may, I'm hoping that they will be inspired to do it more effectively for the yeah. fall. Great. Well, so on that note, um, you, I know your current research focuses on the impact of web technologies and the development of life and career skills in the world language curriculum. So uh, maybe we can close out with some of the silver linings and affordances that remote instruction and technology more generally provide for the language classroom. So uh, several of the instructors that I've spoken to are talking about how much easier it's been to bring in guests. Yeah, very true. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is time difference. But since even Mm -hmm. their guests are working remotely from home, if they have to be up at, you know, 1 a.m. or something like that to be able to to log in and and meet a class synchronously, or they can pre-record and then the instructor can collect questions ahead of time. All Mm -hmm. of that is is much easier to yeah. bring in people from overseas or wherever from the from the workplace yeah. when they're not actually having to be in meetings, that mm-hmm. sort of thing has become easier. Um, so that has definitely been a silver lining. Um, I think that um, there's been a really interesting trend in in more casual connections also. Hmm. Um, in the circumstance where instructors are told you can't do synchronous communicate. You can't require synchronous communications. It's almost more like language happy hours or something mm. yeah. uh, where, where it doesn't have such a strict um, structure to it mm-hmm. as a, you know, a planned distance learning environment might have where every synchronous session has these specific lesson plans. It's been more open. And that's been really an exciting way, I think, for instructors to get to know their students in ways they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, I think it's also brought out how much more there is to teaching than the content itself. (laughs) Yes. You know, (laughs) um, we're for so long with budget cuts and everything else, um, they, the, there's been a a huge cut in the understanding that we also provide a level of security, a level of empathy, a level of all kinds of connections and being an important part of these students' lives that was discounted just for content. Um, I know of one instance, uh, one of the instructors that I work with actually um, happens to also be a graduate student and he's living in the dorms because he's from Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Um, and I was talking to him the other day. I'm like, so it must be really, really quiet around the dorms these days. He says, yeah, there's a few people. He said, what's really unfortunate is there's a guy down the hall who um, is still living here. He's from Wisconsin. So he could go home, mm-hmm. but he basically said he that his home life is just mm-hmm. so unsettling yeah. that he's happier being in school. Yeah. Wow. You know, and you take that along with uh, the struggles that people are having financially if, you know, they're uh, they've lost their jobs or their parents have lost their jobs. I'm a little bit nervous about next fall and whether or not we're going to be 
um, seeing a lot of students that don't come back to college because yeah. suddenly they can't afford to, yeah. or their remote emergency teaching learning experience was so horrible that they don't want to do it again until they can go back to face-to-face if we can't be face-to-face. You know, so I'm a little bit concerned about what that might bring, but sure. I think that the teachers who have been really strong now have the potential to really grow their programs and show that you can learn in multiple environments if you are really connecting to your students in a personal way, and it's not just all about the content. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think one thing underlying all of these things that you just um, outlined is really that despite the fact that we're social distancing we are coming together as a community. You know, I mean, bringing in international speakers or connecting with our students and our colleagues in, in different ways and on different levels. So it's, yeah, I mean, that that gives us some hope here that not all things are, are bad and that hopefully we will learn some valuable lessons that will improve teaching in the future. Another really interesting story that I just heard yesterday, there's a um, faculty member, um, not, she happens to not be in languages, but she is just, I mean, everybody wants to take her course because Mm -hmm. she's such a phenomenal speaker. Mm -hmm. She, she does wonderful, wonderful lectures. And she was really terrified when she moved into this environment. Mm -hmm. And one of the comments that she has is that she realized that, um, it's really about the students. It's not about her. And she hadn't been spending enough time listening to the students. Um, and she's doing that more now. So I'm curious to see how her, her approach and her lectures will change. There's a whole lot more emphasis I'm seeing from instructors are in even asking a reflective question at the mm-hmm. end of an assessment to get true feedback from the students and not necessarily about the content, but maybe about how the content was presented or even just how they're feeling, you know, mm-hmm. how things are going. And there's a lot more reaching out to the students that they haven't heard from yeah. um, instead of just saying, oh, well, you know, they, they don't care about my class, so I'm mm-hmm. going to just move on with the ones that do. Yeah. Um, so that I'll be interested to see how mm-hmm. much of that will also carry through. Yeah. Um, so if some of our listeners are interested in um, preparing themselves better for whatever might happen in the fall, if it's like a blended environment, if we continue to teach fully online, what are your suggestions? Where can they go to uh, learn more, practice more, read up on some of the best practices? So there are a, a number of uh, resources out there. I know Carla is planning to still continue with a lot of their summer institute okay. um, workshops and things there that are already online. Um, so I would do that. Even if you're not sure that you're going to be teaching online, most of what we have learned over the years in blended and online instruction is that what works well for that also works really well for face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of my instructors that teach both face-to-face and through my program yeah. um, have taken the skills that they've learned in, in this environment and, um, applied it to their face-to-face classes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we get into universal design for learning. So anything you mm-hmm. can find on universal design for learning will definitely apply. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that ACFL and IALT are continuing to put out content now mm-hmm. um, for helping people through the, 
this part of the pandemic of remote um, instruction, I would assume, but I don't know for sure that they will also continue through the summer yeah. providing resources and support for teachers. So that would be a place to look and look to your um, state language association. Some of them mm-hmm. are doing quite a bit there as well, or certainly pointing you to places um, yeah. where you can find uh, uh, support literature and so forth. Um I'm trying to think, you know, Calico, IELT, those are a lot of the resources I turn to. Um, I've also been uh, getting a lot of different articles um, online from a variety of of sources, whether it's um, smart briefs to um, there's a, a... I don't know. I guess it's called academia where they're sending me articles all the time Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that they think might be of interest to me. So when you start getting more into this field and, and tagging things in, Mm -hmm. in an area of interest, um, you'll start getting more and more research along those lines too. I really like that you remind us that good teaching is good teaching, regardless of the environment that we teach in. And I think that's something that we all need to keep in mind. And that also on the flip side goes for learning, right? If you have good strategies for being a good learner, then those will um, be valuable, regardless if you're learning face-to-face, blended, online, hybrid. All right. Well, before we sign off, Please share with us your favorite word in a language you speak or have learned or are learning and want to learn. <laughs> so this would be a language that I want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Euskera, which is the Basque language um, in the northern part of Spain. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that my favorite word is Gastelugache. Um, it actually means castle, and it's not my favorite word in any way, shape, or form for its meaning. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, when I was living there, I had a midlife crisis um, about seven years ago, and I took my entire family to Spain for a semester and put my kids in school nice. and so forth. And that was in the northern part of Spain. And there's this place called San Juan de Gastelugache, and you it's a ridiculously number of stairs, I can't remember how many, to get up to this sort of broken down castle-like thing in the ocean. And it's beautiful there. Um, And it took me a really long time to figure out how to say that word correctly. (laughs) Looking at how it's spelled, I was just struggling. And so now it's become kind of my favorite word because I can say it. (laughs) That is awesome. Will you say it one more time for us, please? Gastelugache. And it sounds beautiful. (laughs) I like it. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today. Thanks for inviting me. We'll be back next week with another episode in our special focus on language teaching and learning strategies in a virtual space. Until then, auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners. 
and do stay tuned for our next episode.